Why do the plants need to pollinate, man? Allow. <laughs> what do you mean? Like they got. What do you mean? They get super excited and they start like throwing pollen into the air, and then I die. Like, how how is this fun for anyone? Why do you have so many plants then? Yeah. No, it's the stupid trees outside. The plant inside is very good. He doesn't pollinate. He just sits there. He's a he's a loser, man. He has no need need to pollinate. <laughs> is that the plant or you? Not needing to pollinate. Yeah. No, but it's the uh, stupid trees outside, man. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, what are we talking about? I don't even know. Mate, just start it. <laughs> just start yeah, it. Like, I don't know. Nah, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. You shouldn't have given me time to like you know vent about things. But um, yeah, it's time to start then. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Traveler with your hosts Ali, Zaki, and Zayn. This is a show all about renting cars and exploring new roads stopping at service stations for those essential road trip snacks, and in Zucky's case, having to turn the car back because he left Zayn at the service station because he was too busy eating his chocolate ball, which is a Swedish pastry. So, no surprises there, we are venturing into Sweden this episode, but before we go into any of that, let's go over our usual social connects, which are, and you should know them by now, we are on Twitter, at the LD Traveller, Facebook and Instagram, at the Lockdown Traveller, and of course, our blog, thelockdowntraveller.blogspot.com. So, cadets, some facts, please. Cadets? Yeah, that was a new one. Yeah, I, 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 I was getting tired of gentlemen. Um, what, so you went with something worse? Hey man, cadets You're going to change it, make okay, better. Okay, I'm starting with the facts, okay, because I have a fact for you. Uh-huh. And it's a good fact. Right. So you know how in the UK we like our badges and wind, uh, wind in the willows, rubert bear and stuff. We just look at badges yeah. and we're like, hey man, we like that stuff. <laughs> Sweets, on the other hand are terrified. They have a pathological fear of badges. And um, the reason why they are absolutely terrified of badges is because in folklore, or when they were growing up as children, they were told in folk belief that if a badger bites onto your arm or leg, they will not let go until they hear the bone crack. Wow. Yeah. And why do they attack humans? Because they're psychopaths, man. They're furry, black-and-white psychopaths. But the badger-phobic Swedes have actually figured out how to have a lovely hike without going crazy. So they actually have Rivita-style crisp bread um, hidden into their socks. So if a marauding badger does bite, they can just break the Rivita crisp bread and they'll be tricked into thinking that the bone has snapped and then the badger walks off. Or take a shotgun with you. What a stupid badger, <laughs> though. Like, you would feel the bone crack yeah. instead of hearing it. And he's there yeah. for the crack. So they're crack addicts, is anyway. what you're saying. <laughs> so somebody must have had this happen to them before for them to be, like, fearful of it, right? No, it's like that, That you know, it's, you know, like, um, folklore and stuff, like, where the, what's that, 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 that German guy who chops off ch- children's thumbs because they suck their thumbs or something. Yeah, but that's a guy and not a badger. There's a big it's, difference hey, there. Hey, man, badgers could bite. Do you, do you have a better fact? Oh, I, I'd have a much better fact than that, mate. That, okay. I don't think we're going to be hard pushed to find a better fact than that. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, I've got a fact. According to Swedish naming law, right? they've got very strict naming rules on like baby names. So the, the law states, and I quote, The first names shall not be approved if they can cause offence, or can be supposed to cause discomfort for the one using it, or names which for some obvious reason are not suitable as a first name. Right? Right. So, some baby names that are banned are things like Elvis, Ikea, also banned, <laughs> and of course, the, the very common name, 
BRFXXCCXXMNPCCCCLLMMNPRXV CLMN CKSSQLBB11116 what is this? Some, some teletext name. Try to name their son or daughter that. So this dude, who's AKA Albin, Albin. obviously, uh, was named BRFXX. No, please, please don't. Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. One 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 six by his parents in protest of the naming law, but their protest was unsuccessful. So the parents got fined and got told to give them another name. I can literally hear Elon Musk going, "Ah, they stole my name." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so that's, but that's, if you're that's... protesting the naming law, at least go with a relatively normal name. Because if if the protest went through and they named it that, then then what? Well, it's nicknamed Albin, so it's fine. That was your better fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's got... kind of rubbish. <laughs> no. Okay, right. No. I've, got, I've got some tourist info which might be useful instead. Um, so, if you're not planning to have children in in Sweden and name them those things, um, make sure you get a tourism card when you're in Sweden. So most of those, well, as in get it before you go to Sweden, rather, because most of them will give you access to like the public transport and free entrances to like majority of museums. Uh, the main one I looked at was a Stockholm Pass, and that gives you free bus tours, boat tours, free access to public transport, including bicycle sightseeing, unlimited journeys on the hop-on, hop-off buses, mm-hmm. free entry to over 60 of the attractions in like museums and whatever, free digital guidebook. And they work for like 24 hours instead of days. So like say you, you went on a Friday, start, did your first attraction at midday. That lasts until Saturday midday the next day. Yeah, stick a, stick a link up on the Yeah, on the that blog. sounds really yeah. good. Like, yeah, they're pretty once good you there. Get there you, you wouldn't want to leave. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, but they're pretty good. So like you can buy them in one, two, three or five day options. And it ranges from like uh, 57 quid, about 80 US dollars for one day. And about 130 quid or 185 dollars for five days. But the child passes are about a third of that. Um, why do children, really why are children passes cheaper? <laughs> they take up less room. We can't get into this. We've got, we've got too much. We've got too much to cover. We've got too much to cover Seriously? to start arguing about the, the treatment of children in the correct way. But anyway, uh, just one note. It's recommended that you get these in advance of your visit and make sure you get them either delivered to your house or arrange for like an airport pickup if you can because I've been told or reading stuff that getting hold in the city is quite hard and it can be tricky to find the exact location. But... They are definitely worth getting, even if it's just for one day. It'll give you access to all the stuff you need to see, really, to check them out. All right. So that's for people who want to come into Sweden, right? I have a fact that is for people who want to leave Sweden. <laughs> right. Okay. As a travel, um, as a travel podcast, talking about as a travel podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Ali, you've been making sourdough for a while now, yes? Absolutely. And if you want to do sourdough, you have to feed it regularly with water and flour and God knows what else, right? Every Otherwise, two weeks. it dies. Yep. Yeah. So. What if you want to travel internationally, but you can't take it with you, right? It's going to die. Exactly. You're going to feel terrible. Exactly. So if you're in Sweden, you're in luck because they have a 24-hour hotel at the airport dedicated entirely to sourdoughs. Seriously? Yeah, you get your what? sourdough. You drop it off at RC Chocolat in the Arlanda airport in Stockholm. Nice. And they'll regularly feed it organic flour and water and then sort of massage it into the dough. They keep the dough at the right temperature, and then any extra dough, they just dispose of it to make sure that your sourdough remains the same size. That's amazing. And it's 100 Swedish krona per week, which is about £8.50 or 14.5 Canadian dollars, which isn't too bad, right? But I feel like if you're the type of person who pays to keep your sourdough in a hotel, it really doesn't matter what the price yeah. is. Exactly, yeah, you're not exactly. Be worried about it. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is, right? 
This isn't the only sourdough hotel in Sweden. There's the Urban Deli, which is also in Stockholm, in the Sofo district, and that charges 300 krona per week, which is three times as expensive as the airport one. And I have no idea what they do differently <laughs> that justifies <laughs> that price, right? Mate, that, that's, that's genuinely amazing. They've got to do something for the act 300. There's got to be something in there that they do, right? Yeah, I have no idea. But yeah, if you've got sourdough, you've, you've got choices. <laughs> that's really good to know. Is it? Okay, sure. Sure. It, it, it is. My, my, my poor guy, he, he um, rises on top of the boiler, so he doesn't really have the best uh, life. Um, Actually, someone um, phoned the, the hotel and asked them if they could take uh, humans as well, because she's got a very doughy husband. My sourdough is called weird dough. That's just... That was a good fact. Well done, both of you. No, it uh, wasn't, and it wasn't a good joke, and it wasn't. It was nothing about that was good. The joke That's was awful. A good the name joke was for a sourdough, to be honest. Stop it! Stop. Okay, Vikings. We're talking Vikings. Um, we're not talking Vikings for too long because that will go on forever. But we are going to talk Vikings really, really quickly, and I will summarize everything you need to see about Vikings. So there are three things which I think you should look at. First one, obviously, is the Museum of uh, Vikings in Stockholm. Again, that's all I'm going to say there because <laughs> self-explanatory. The next one I want to talk about is um, a place called Birka. Now, Birka, to those who haven't been following um, our previous episodes, we have talked about it two or three times. But Birka is a small island near Stockholm, which is it's, it essentially literally translates into Birch Island. And the reason why Birka is so important to... Um, Vikings is because it used to be like a central marketplace for Vikings. Um, so in the past we've talked about, I think it was the Buddhist statue, the staff of a, a Catholic um, mm -hmm. priest. Mm -hmm. All of that was found in Birka and the best part is that since you can now travel to Birka as well, um, you can go and see what the recreations look like. So they've reconstructed the huts, the boats, the lifestyle, everything like that. So you can actually go get a trip up to the island and you can actually go and live as a Viking um, for, for a couple of days. Oh, so that's it's, cool. It's, 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 it's brilliant. And I mean, some of the sites uh, since 200 years ago, um, it was founded by a couple of 500 people. And since then, they found random stuff. And recently, they found in a Viking grave an Arabic inscripted ring, uh, which clearly came from the Middle what? East. And hmm. it's, just, it's just amazing. So definitely... Cool. We need to go see so, that. So, is that related to the Silk Road? Exactly, exactly, exactly. It is. It is related to the Silk Road. This is like the marketplace, um, and it's a small island, really. Um, but it's it was just focal because um, it has uh, drinking water. So a lot of the boats which were flying about, flying about, swimming about. What do boats do? <laughs> floating. Floating about. Yeah, yeah floating about. Um, they would stop there and the chieftains and stuff would have a little chat and then they'd be like, hey man, I like that, can I have that? And they'd bartered and stuff, so it became essentially a marketplace. So yeah, you can mm. go and check that out. And Swimming about. <laughs> That's awesome though. That's really cool. That yeah. is like, it's like tor Tortuga. Exactly, exactly. Essentially, yeah, so many cultures. That's it's brilliant. cool, man. It's brilliant. That's really cool. In fact, they're still finding stuff like today. That's pretty cool. And they've got like a couple of different versions. So you can go for the, the, the rookie, the noob level, where you can go into a hut and it's got air conditioning and electricity and stuff. And you can go, yeah, I'm living like a Viking. And then they've got the extreme version, which is a bit further away. And it's literally a hut with a fire and lambskin. And you have to use the lambskin, sleep on the floor. There's nothing cool. there. It's deathly quiet. I think that sounds awesome. We have to try it. That sounds good. Yeah. And then the last thing I was going to talk about Vikings before we end the chapter on Vikings for this episode was another place called Eifor, 
which is in Stockholm, which is a... It's a subterranean restaurant, but what I like about it is that it's got very, very simple um, entrance. So you see some runes, you go down to a staircase. From the staircase, you open a door, you go further down into a dark basement. And then you have a large... And you sat there on a chair saying, hello. Hello. <laughs> no. Um, and stroking then... a cat just turns around and... Actually, stroking a badger. <laughs> yeah, a badger with a plant. <laughs> turns around in a chair. Yeah. I've been expecting you. <laughs> what you'll actually find, because that would have been a, a much better entrance, um, is a hall with sheepskin covered wood benches decorated with weapons, shields and furs. And when you go in, you will get announced by horn and receive a loud welcome from the other diners. Um, and they, what that's they, awesome. I think it's brilliant. And what they Actually, try no, that's to do. terrible if you have anxiety. <laughs> or if your name is BRFXXXX. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that would be. <laughs> Poor guy would one for them to um, But yeah, any any food which the Vikings used to have from 800 to 1050 CE is made there, including um, reindeer heart. So you can go and uh, trial them. So again, we'll stick the link up. And that is all I have for Vikings for this episode. That's pretty interesting. Okay, I'm impressed. You kind of kept that quite Thank you. Quite short. I thought I'd try, you try and be efficient because I want to talk about stuff which annoys me later. The thing is, uh, stuff like that we can go on for hours, couldn't we? Yeah. Especially with, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, interesting. yeah. But no, that's, that's good. That's a nice one, yeah. That's pretty interesting stuff. I'll give you that. Thank you. Um, I don't know how I'm going to go into this, so I'm just going to... Mm-hmm. How do I do a venture? Um, I want to talk about something haunted, of course. Because <laughs> right? that, 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 that's... Not even trying, but you're just like... How do, I, how, sure. do I, how, do I, how do I venture into this? Give me a link. Vikings travel. All right. What? I don't know. Vikings travel. Oh, they come Vikings across kill people. Those people haunt people. Okay, yeah, go on. Speaking okay, of that, that works. Right, yeah, Vikings kill people. People haunt stuff. <laughs> Speaking of hauntings, I want to talk about a vicarage. I'll, I'll explain what it is in a second because all these mugs read it as village. So, situated in northern Sweden is a small town called Borivatnet or Borvatnet, and it's home to what is listed as Scandinavia's most haunted house. Now, normally. I'm not really a big fan of haunted houses because they're pretty dry and they don't have like they don't have a real fear factor for me. Like you know, in comparison to a cave network or a prison or a forest yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. Houses right. just not don't... enough murder. Yeah, yeah, ha- <laughs> houses just don't have the the, the thing. You know what I mean? Because most of the time it's just well, a floorboard creaks or like a leaf falls and everyone mm. just goes mental, right? I can't say mental. Everyone goes crazy. But from what I've read and right, seen, yeah, this so one... that's better. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You can't... Yeah, but it's more. Yeah. Everyone freaks out. There you go. Okay. That's a fair one. Okay. Mm-hmm. But this one actually might be a legitimately, like, genuine poltergeist one out of all the ones that I've seen. So, the house was constructed in 1876 as a vicarage, which is, for those of you who don't know... What is a vicarage? For those of you that don't know... <laughs> for those of you that don't know, uh, it's a house for uh, the priest or clergyman to live. when. So, when the church used to still be active quote-unquote active they used to bestow right. endowments to people who were working for the religion and they keep okay. them like houses and stuff for them to stay in eat and sleep and all that kind of stuff okay cool and so you know 50 years went by no real problems everything was crusty and then some strange events started taking place and these started off with the standard stuff you know i'll explain noises ali and laundry <laughs> being ripped off the line probably also ali and then Things started to get more and more intense. So slowly they start hearing sounds of screaming. They'd see shadows being haunted, like lurking around the halls. Um, still early. Still early. <laughs> a lady in grey being seen by multiple people who was also accompanied by sounds of crying. That was a good Friday. And music. Yeah. <laughs> because Sunday and night. music. Music was an interesting one. Yeah, I'm thinking more like maybe a layers of fear 
or like a Bioshock music. Right, that... creepy music, okay, not creepy like happy music. music, like a circus Yeah, 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 thing. yeah. Not like the... the, 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 the not like that's that. interesting. I was thinking Rings of Fire. Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. No, I was thinking like the Evil Within one, you know, the the one when he's saving. The dun, 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 that one. That would be anyway. terrifying. Anyway, even one woman spoke about being awoken in the middle of the night and seeing three old women just staring at her. Yeah, that's creepy. That is creepy. So, in 1947, it started getting like national attention because of the amount of stuff that was going on there. Uh, and there was one major event where the priest who stayed at the time, called known as Eric Lindgren, told a tale where he came in, he'd, he'd got moved into the house like only recently, and he'd sat down on the rocking chair one evening when he was knackered, right? Yeah. And yeah. he sat down, started rocking on it, and he got violently thrown to the floor. <laughs> That's not his chair. It's his spot. He looked up and he was like, nah, mate, I'm getting back on this. You do what you want, but I'm sitting down here. And he went to sit back down on it, and he said that he felt a strong force enter his body as he sat down the second time, vehemently trying to force him off. Right. Get off my chair. And that, and that chair still remains in the same house to this day. It's on display, and it can be seen to be rocking by itself to this very day. Oh, creepy. Mm. And the activity after this event, this was like a big point, and the activity became so heavy that the famous, quote-unquote, ghost priest oh, named Tore Forstland rocked up to the town in the 1980s and attempted to rid the town of its ghostly plight. Right. Oh, right. I thought you meant he was a ghost priest, as in a ghost who was a priest. I was thinking that would have been a fun movie. Okay. Oh I mean, it would be a good film. Nicholas Cage. Like, yeah. yeah, Nicholas Cage. Like Velocipaster meets the ghost priest. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he, he, in the 1980s, he came around and tried to, to rid the town of this, this haunting. But he had no luck. And after a year of multiple failed attempts, he sacked it off. And, and <laughs> He's like, I'm out. He's like, I can't do Jack. Yeah. So anyway, the vicarage is owned by some people today. I think it's Tony and Nick Slaxonen. And they've turned it into a bed and breakfast, which is open to the public. So you can go and stay the night if you uh, want to experience some first-hand poltergeist activity. You even get a certificate out of it if you manage to stay the night. Nice. Can you actually sit in the rocking chair? I think, I don't know. It's on display, so I don't know if you can actually sit in it. But I've seen some footage of people going there, and it's quite interesting. It's quite a unique one. It's one of the more compelling cases of hauntings in comparison to all the others. Okay. Interesting. So you can stay there, stay the night, or you can even just you know, drop in for a coffee and, and have a look and have a bit of banter. Hmm. Okay. No, that sounds good. Yeah, one of the less horrific haunting ones, right? Yeah, just a, somebody who's very possessive about a chair. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you have a nice chair, you don't want people sitting in it. Yeah, that's true. This, that's true. This is from experience. Yeah, like comfortable spots are very hard to find, so you've got to be protective. But I mean, it's it's sheer stubbornness to be sitting there and continuously rocking it for the next fifty. Yeah, imagine years. you get thrown off, and you're like, "No, I'm going to sit exactly I mean, in that spot." Let's be honest, all of us would. We would I don't care if I get murdered tonight. <laughs> just out of spite. Just out of spite. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fine. Fine. All right. I'm going to take a break from all this haunted. Supernatural nonsense, and let's mate, focus on science watch because watch your mouth, mate. Can't dispute science. Can you not? Um, yeah, you can't. So my attraction is not just one location; it's actually a bunch of places spread out across Sweden, and they all make up the world's largest scale model of the solar system. So it's a scale of one to twenty million, and it includes Pluto as well, which is wonderful because Pluto is a planet, and I will not hear anything against it. Amen, brother. It's, Amen. It's... Hey, come Amen. on, leave uh, it out. Leave Pluto alone. I thought you just said you can't dispute science, and yet that's exactly what you're doing. Nope, it is a planet. <laughs> NASA okay. agrees. 
That is science. Okay. So anyway, the solar system model starts with the sun, which is represented by the Globe Arena in Stockholm, and it is the largest spherical building in the world. So all really? the other planets are lined up north from that location. Yeah. So the Globe Arena has a diameter of 71 meters. It's massive. Yeah, wow, that's huge. And Mercury, which is located just outside the Stockholm Town Museum entrance, is about three kilometers away from the Globe Arena. And just to give you an idea of the scale of this whole solar system, Globe Arena, biggest spherical building in the world, 71 meters diameter. Mm -hmm. Model of Mercury has a diameter of 25 centimeters. <laughs> is that class as a building? It's tiny. It's not a building, it's, it's just a scale model. And what's really cool is that it's heated, so it symbolizes how close it is to that's the sun. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Venus is five and a half kilometers from the Globe Arena, and it has a diameter of 62 centimeters, and it's located just outside the House of Science and the Albanova University Center. Next up is the Earth and the Moon. Both are located outside the entrance to the Space Theater Cosmonova at the Natural History Museum. That's um, 7.6 kilometers north of the th uh, Globe Theater. Okay. Earth has a diameter of 65 centimeters, and the Moon is 18 centimeters. And they're pretty close to each other, obviously. obviously. Right, yeah, fair enough. Mars is on the upper floor of the Morby Centrum shopping mall, which is 11.6 kilometers north of the Sun. A shopping and it's connected, mall? It's in, yeah, in the middle of a shopping mall on the upper floor, and it's connected to a massive sort of steel plate on the floor, representing its connection to Earth. And etched into the actual sphere are little chemical symbols for common compounds found on the planet, hmm. which is really cool. Nice. That, is, that is nice. Jupiter is in the Hotel Clarion in Orlando Airport, which is 40 kilometers north. And unlike the other models, which are all, you know, spheres, this one is a gigantic ring of lights that hang over the entrance of a conference uh, center. Okay, I like this. That's pretty cool. It's very cool, yeah, because it's 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 7.1 meters in diameter, so it's pretty big. And inside the corridors of the hotel, you can see um, some of the moons of Jupiter just hanging around. Okay, that's good. I was going to ask you that, if they actually had the moons in there as well, because I was curious yeah. about it. That's I mean, they, I think they started off with just the planets, but now they've expanded to include uh, moons, asteroids, nice, minor planets, nice. and comets as well. Are we okay with the fact that moons are hanging around and boats are floating? Like, I mean, yeah, just a the moons are literally though. hanging from the ceiling. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, you know, okay. I'm just checking, yeah. I'm just checking, yeah. I'm just checking, you know. And this... They do not swim, really. That's just not... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Coming back to um, the, your, your... Going back to the system, yeah. Saturn is getting a new model, but the location is 73 kilometers north. So you are traveling literally all across Sweden, which is very cool. Um, the next planet, uh, Uranus, <laughs> is in the village of Lovsterbrook, 146 kilometers north of the Globe Arena. It's a pretty popular tourist attraction, and I'm just going to move on before one of you guys says something weird. <laughs> Um, Neptune symbolizes the god of water and the sea, and it's located in Soderham Central Park, which is 230 kilometers north of the Globe Arena. And Soderham is basically a coastal town with long traditions of fishing and sailing, so it's an appropriate place for the model. And mm. what's really cool about this one is that the model is, um, it's got a diameter of 2.5 meters, and it's a translucent sphere that's illuminated from the inside by a hidden blue uh, light. Oh, nice. Okay. So it looks okay, very yeah. watery and That's shimmery cool. and shiny and glittery and all that stuff. It looks pretty cool. Nice. Mm. And finally, at the end of this massive tour across Sweden, we have Pluto and Sharon in the village of Dalsbo, which is 300 kilometers north of the Globe Arena. So both of these things are represented by two short um, 
tomb-like pillars, which remind you of the mythological meaning of Pluto, which is Hades, you know, god of the mm. underworld. Yeah. And Charon is a dude who ferries souls to the underworld. Mm. And the pillars are also cool because they're located right next to Delin Lake, which was apparently formed by a meteorite impact 90 million years ago that killed off all life in the area. See, now that... That's, Kudos to Sweden. That, that is, is fantastic. That's really awesome, well right? done. Like if, if we're going to Sweden, we're going to, going to do a road trip and find all these hidden... Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. 100%. That's amazing. Yeah, that is superb. Yeah, so that, that's the main tour of the system. And they have, like again, moons, asteroids, comets, everywhere else as well. But you're going mainly for the planets. Zayn, this is the first time since we've been doing these podcasts where I actually have utmost respect for you and your research. Yeah, that is really Honestly, cool. this, this was one of the coolest things I've found That's nice. um, over all of our episodes. 22 episodes, and this is my favorite. That might be number one, you know. Yeah. That's saying a lot, but that might just be effort and the, the attention to detail and that. That is pretty... Yeah, go on. Fair play. Yeah, you know, like... Um, Angels and Demons or The Da Vinci Code or stuff where yes, you have to yes. travel across mm, mm, a, a country mm. or a city just to find all the hidden clues. I think that stuff is fantastic. Yeah, superb. But this is the same man that had his fact as being the capital city. <laughs> exactly. Mate, you've come a long way. I'm so proud of you. I yeah. know, right? Well done. Yeah, we've still got a long episode to go, but yeah. 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 All right, good stuff. I kind of wish I'd gone first now because this one's not nowhere near <laughs> as good <laughs> okay, as that. I need to hear your stuff. Um, yeah. I guess sort of linked into the to science, I suppose, with, while we're on this science high, uh, after it got after mm-hmm. the supernatural got snatched away from us I know. by the evil and you know modern hands of this Canadian I know. monster. I'm bringing you, you know, science, <laughs> and you're stuck in the old ways. No, wait, to be fair, wait, the old ways. Yeah, no, fair. Okay, the the science was interesting, but um, anyway, I was going to talk about the R1 nuclear reactor. So this was the first nuclear reactor ever made in Sweden. And it's located about 25 meters underneath the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm. Hmm. And the reactor was conceived in the 1950s when Sweden was kind of looking to develop its, its I don't know, nuclear capabilities, yeah, I guess, yeah. following World War II. And it became active in 1954 and got used until about 1970. But then it got shut down. Um, either because of it's kind of it's pr- people worried about how close it is to normal civilization, or because mm-hmm. the, the the main nuclear site in Sweden then moved to Studvisk instead. Yeah, yeah. So right. either way, it got shut down and it got decommissioned in 1982, and then got released from regu- regulatory control in 1985. However, in 1998, it got reinstated, and then a new kind of group of people took it over. And they started thinking about what they could do to make it interesting with the amount of space that they've got. And they reinstated it as a kind of interactive multimedia installation type thing. And so over the years, it slowly became this sort of creative meeting space. And it's hosted like loads of different fairs, scientific and artistic performances, you know, live theatres, musicals, dance routines. Yeah, it must have really good acoustics, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the few places they said actually that when they were doing music filming and stuff, they could just use live audio naturally and not have to bump stuff in afterwards. That's cool. Um, They've got art, art installations. They even got restaurant tastings okay. that they hold there. But it's one—it's just cool because it's a nuclear reactor, like an old nuclear reactor, which you can go in and just have all these things in. And there's no protective clothing or anything like that. It's just completely safety commissioned, empty nuclear reactor. I'm not going to lie, Zoki. When you started this off, I genuinely thought you were getting further and further down into the relegation zone. Um, and I was like, this is just, this is awful. This is so bad. I can't believe we're doing it. And then you redeemed it by the arts and venues and the acoustics. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they, they've kind of brought it back into something that used to be scientific and then they've kind of adapted it and made it still used, I think, as an inspiration for people to say, look at how mm-hmm. much cool stuff you can do, not just in science, but, you know, all around different walks of life. Yeah, no, I love it when they take, like, old historic buildings and, you know, use them so you, you can have modern stuff, but you can also see the past as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think we had a similar thing in Uzbekistan, didn't we, about them... Um, Hmm. The the best thing being merging all the new together and still maintaining the heritage, but also making something exactly, useful yeah. out of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's that kind of cool. It's currently open to the public for special events, um, and I think you can also visit if you call ahead and arrange. But be warned, from what I've read, it's a little bit flaky in actually getting agreement or like getting the arrangements. But we've got a we've got a Facebook link that has all the contact details and the location, etc. So hit them up in there if you're interested in going, and they should be able to sort you out with a with a place to go. It would be cool to have, like, a laser tag game. Yeah, that would be good as well. Yeah, that would be quite good. They've got, like, it's quite a huge area. Even Stephen Hawking visited this place once, I think. Nice. Um, that sounds really, really good. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting place. I'm bored of science. Now what? I'm bringing us back down to Supernatural. Going back We're to going the back. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm, I'm clutching onto my old, old history and my stick. Have you ever looked at a donkey? <laughs> And gone, do you know what? That would make some really fine paper to write stuff on. I'll, I'll be honest, every word you said in that made me worried. Every yeah, single when, word you when said. The first half of your sentence, I was going to say, yeah, I've looked at you recently. But then <laughs> the paper bit kind of threw me off. But every single thing you were saying, I was like, well, okay, where do I stop him? Okay, at what point do hold, I say, hold, need... hold your, hold your, Hold your insults and abuse, because I have found something which I think you will appreciate. So I want to talk about the... <laughs> <laughs> what you say have you ever looked at a donkey and says okay i think you'll appreciate what is that what bear with How? me bear with me okay i want to talk about the codex gigas <laughs> sorry <laughs> really early how old are you how old are you mate sorry wow. sorry, sorry. I'll, uh, okay also known as the devil's bible let's just call it the devil's bible oh okay, okay. that's well, a cool why didn't you start with that what's that got to do with it why didn't you just Okay, so, so so the Devil's Bible is one of the largest surviving medieval European manuscripts um, in the world. And why it's called the Devil's Bible, there are a few different reasons. One of them is that it's got this huge, um, the biggest depiction of the Devil, uh, the Prince of Darkness, on its pages. And um, it's the only Bible in the world to actually have an illustration of what the Devil is or does or mm. looks like. So that is, people are not very happy with that. Um, but honestly, I'll stick a link up on the um, on the blog, and you need to go and see it. So you can actually go and see the Devil's Bible um, in Stockholm. So it's in the uh, Kundliga Bibliothek in the or the National Library of Sweden, and you can go and see that, mm. which is great. But I just wanted to just walk you through a few things which I found quite interesting about this thing. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I wanted to say is it is the largest book I've ever seen. So. It's 92 centimetres by 50 centimetres. What? And weighs right. weighs 75 kilograms. What? Yeah. That's insane. That's like... And, and, and. So it's made out of 310 um, leaves of vellum, which were made from the skins of 160 donkeys. So they actually used 160 donkeys to make this book. And the reason why it's called um, the Devil's Bible, another reason is that the, the monk, Benedict, Benedictine, Benedictine, basically Herman, sure. Herman the Recluse, was the was <laughs> That's the a great name. <laughs> Sorry, Herman the Monk, aka Herman the Herman Re- the Hermit, Herman the Hermit yeah, yeah. the Recluse. He was told that if you don't write a book which gives the person 
who's ordered it, um, all the knowledge in the world, he needs to go and die. So what Herman the Recluse did was that he sold his soul to the devil and the devil helped him finish this huge book in exchange for his soul. Um, Right. And the monk actually put on the 209th page a picture of the devil as gratitude for his um, aid. Wow. So you give him your soul and you're like, mate, what a stand-up guy. Let me do a picture of him. Yeah, he's like, oh, mate, I I really appreciate it. But I mean, just some other uh, quick, quick facts then. What I like about this devil's Bible is that it is a work of history. So it's got the Christian Bible, the Jewish wars, the Jewish antiquities, an encyclopedia of something in Seville, the Chronicles of Bohemia, and Zaki, I think you'll appreciate this. There are a number of short texts as well, which are medical practices, penitence, and okay. exorcisms, and spell remedies. Yeah, that's cool. It's like a, so it, yeah. Is any of this stuff cool. actually helpful? Like, was any of it true? All, all of it um, is, is documented, and it genuinely is the largest manuscript um, which they found. So No, no, I mean, that's that's fine, but the stuff in the book, like Nostradamus, did he make any predictions that we can say, wow, the devil actually did write this? No. Well, not that I... What picture, right, so it's what just... more do you need? It's got a mugshot. Yeah, I mean... It's as good as a signature, isn't it? But also what's interesting is that it actually had 10 extra pages, but the 10 pages were ripped out by the monk at the end before he lost his, lost his mind, and nobody knows what he's done with those pages. Um, so what happened to those 10 pages, nobody knows, but a lot of people have gone, that's, you know, the devil's something, done something here, or he's taken his knowledge to the grave. And I was like, but why write it in the first place? Yeah, I mean, you yeah. have one job, and then at the end you sabotage yourself, so of course you're going to die. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, that book is, and there's a digital version, and in fact, I'll stick the link up of the digital version as well. Hmm. But um, I just never thought that I'd talk about the devil's book in Sweden, but they have one. In Ramadan. Yeah. In Ramadan. Yeah, in Ramadan, <laughs> yeah, yeah. honestly. It's, it's, it's been a weird day. But yes, it's okay. I, I thought I'd share that with you. But yeah, that, like yeah. turning a page must be like a proper workout. <laughs> yeah. It's kilograms. like, yeah. yeah. How old is it? Did, did, did you it say how old was, it was? Uh, it was during the Swedish wars, if that helps. So monks, I don't know, 16th century? I have no idea. Okay, I was just wondering like, what condition it's in, if it's still in that area, like, is it actually... You can't, you can't physically touch it, because it's disintegrating, right. so they, they've got it behind yeah, this thing, but you can read the whole copy virtually, um, and they've got, like, a digital, they've got this huge HD scanner thing, so you can kind of, like, flip digitally pages, but That's cool. uh, you can't see the actual one. But yeah, no, uh, it, looks, it looks pretty impressive, so I'd like to stop and see that, please. Yeah, yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, definitely. See, Zave, the old ways are better. Exactly. See that? The old ways are better. Imagine watching a modern exorcism over a phone, mate. That's, just, that's not fun. That's not exciting. <laughs> yeah, just on Skype. Not, imagine that. Imagine trying to do an exorcism exactly. over Skype, bro. Exactly. Not, I mean, the Im- first five minutes of the exorcism would be like, hey, can you hear me? Is this my camera? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, not, that's not cool. That's exactly. Not, that's not. Exactly. Yeah. The old ways. Um, the old ways. Okay. Nice one, Ali. I appreciate that. I'll kind of go on to this one. I, I'm going to apologize in advance. Okay, because this isn't gonna be necessarily fun. Oh God! Oh God! Okay, but I'll talk you through it, and you can make your own conclusions. So I'm gonna talk about a place called Dada Fale, which is called the Dead Falls. Right. Okay. So it used to be a waterfall known as Stur Fortune, which is known as the Great Rapids, and it used to be one of the most spectacular waterfalls in Sweden. It was 35 meters high and connected Lake Ragunda to the Indal Selvan River. Right. However, unfortunately, 
In 1796, the waterfall got silenced forever, after what many people considered to be one of the most devastating natural disasters that's ever happened in Sweden. Can you silence a waterfall? You can indeed, and I'll tell you how they did it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to have a guess quickly, before we they start? They stabbed themselves in the ear, so they couldn't hear it. Okay, Ali? They imported loads of beavers from Canada, and they made a dam. Both ridiculous and terrible <laughs> things, and I'm not going to grace them with any more information. Right. What actually happened was, in the 1700s, the primary sources of income for this area, or I say the Ragunda Valley, were farming, logging and fishing. And in this area there were so many large forests and the timber industry was a huge potential for income. But the village and the valley faced some challenges because of the waterfall. So number one, the waterfall was so powerful that if they were kind of putting any logs through the rivers to take them downstream, they'd just get destroyed when they hit the waterfall, or when went down the waterfall. And the second problem was the waterfall served as a sort of barrier for salmon coming upstream so the fishermen couldn't get access to them. So they were struggling and and they didn't... Not struggling, but they didn't get as many resources as they wanted. So after loads of negotiations, the king at the time, known as King Gustav III, granted permission for a bypass canal to be made. But after loads of attempts and loads of problems, not really... Don't got details why or what the problems were. But anyway, there were loads of digging attempts and they all failed and the project got abandoned. Right. In 1973, a group of mugs, or farmers, took things into their own hands and hired this guy called Magnus Hus, aka Wild Hus, or Crazy Hus. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good name to go for. Who was a merchant and a moron, and not an engineer in any way, shape, or form, okay? But he had the money and he offered to do the job cheaply. Good start. So... This genius's idea was to use the power of the water itself and take part of the lake away and force the water to overflow through gutters into a different ridge and effectively forcing the water to make its own route, making a separate bypass naturally, if right. that makes sense. Right. I mean, it sounds like a decent idea. So he would do that and then once the, once the water would carve into the ridge, he'd start digging it to make it bigger. But two problems with this. Number one. No one realised that actually in prehistoric times, the place where they were making this bypass had already been dug thousands of years (laughs) ago, right? And during the last ice age, a glacier dropped a whole bunch of sediment onto this spot and created a a natural dam, which forced the creation of Lake Ragunda in the first place. So they tried to carve out the area which caused the lake to form in the first place, if that makes sense. Right. So they ruined the lake. Yeah, exactly. So they were they were trying to they just they didn't think about it at all. And the second problem was no one twigged there were streams from the surrounding mountains that could feed into this area in the event of a flood or something like that. So because of all of that, at nine PM on June sixth, seventeen ninety six, the rising water as a result of major flooding pushed through the dam and resulted in the lake being completely drained and the river being directed into the forest, causing devastation to farms, livestock, mills, houses, etc. All, like, miles and miles and miles down the stream, completely emptying this entire lake. So this dude, like, single-handedly destroyed everything? Pretty much. Basically, yeah. I mean, why would you even go for him as a contractor? Because he is cheap. And that's the moral of the story. Because he is cheap and sold them. I've I've got a good moral coming up. Fortunately... There weren't any casualties, except mm. for Hus himself, who was found drowned in the river years later, and they believed they, they lynched him, or they, they put him in a boat with no oars, and the angry farmers loved him downstream. Oh, God. Mm. Despite this, though, 
there were some positive outcomes. It, they kind of achieved what they wanted in the sense that they became they because of the ridiculous overflow and the the river being you know, seeping into the forest. They did manage to make some logging trails. Salmon could leg it up the stream. New farmland got Salmon created. Could sorry, leg, sorry. It. leg it up. You... <laughs> they could leg it up the stream. <laughs> There's new farmland got created, and and a small kind of area got filled with water that became a waterfall, and then that's used for electrical generation. So in a way. They produced what they wanted to do, but the devastation far outweighed the benefit. Zaki, you can't salvage this. This that's, that's anyway. The, yeah. Anyway, this site is a natural preserve now, and it's free to access to the public. And they've built like multiple walkways and staircases and ramps throughout the site. And there's also a bunch of hiking trails in the area, as well as like kayaking, canoeing opportunities further down where the river is now. But I think it's a good reminder and a good testament to how destructive greed and incompetence can be. That's a good moral, but you went from the devil's Bible yeah, to here's yeah. a lake and we just emptied it. Yeah. Effectively, yeah. Yeah. I wow. think that, that was a waste of, what, 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> it was a it long really It was a long story, I, I, admittedly. But it's an interesting place to go. If you look at the pictures and stuff, the way they built it out, I haven't really done it justice there, but it's quite a, quite an interesting, unique place. Okay, nobody can give it justice. That was, that was, it's. Uh, do you know what? That it's actually, effectively a hole in the ground, it's, right? It's, An empty lake. You like a hole? Or I can dig a hole in a hole. Yeah, basically, <laughs> I this is going to be the best link we've ever done ever. See, that Zucky's telling of that story and the concept itself and the, and the location is a failure. It's useless. It's rubbish. <laughs> I have a... <laughs> sorry. I have a museum for you, which I think you'll appreciate. Um, and it's called the Museum of Failure. So whilst we know that, you know, Sweden has brought Ikeas and Volvos and all that lovely stuff, Sweden is also known for the the mishaps of innovation or something which doesn't really um, work. And what happens when you can laugh and learn about the failure as well. So the Museum of Failure exists for that purpose. So inside is a collection of some of the most interesting failures around the world, um, reflecting the fact that the majority of all innovative projects fail and they've got at least 112 different products, and I've just been flicking through them, and some of them okay. are a huge warship, which sank four minutes later when on its uh, maiden wow. voyage. Yeah, that one. And yeah, another, okay. something coming out from America, which was, I kid you not, a food suppressant diet candy. Um, but the diet candy Sorry, was called... What? Yeah, it's called an appetite suppressant candy, and it was backed by loads of Hollywood celebrities in 1970, and the name for this diet candy? AIDS. A-Y-D-S. Wow. Yes. Come on. A-Y-D-S. Come on. And it says, why take diet pills when you can enjoy AIDS? It's in there. So, yeah. so yeah. Obviously that didn't do well. It Yeah, it, yeah. it flopped um, very, very Funny quickly. That. The project Funny was that. doomed. Does the uh, museum take requests? Because we can put this uh, podcast in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they'll give us a plinth in there. They probably will, mate. But yeah, Front row. Just wanted to share that museum. But with that, um, looking at the time, special mentions uh, from yourselves, please. I have another museum, which is called the Disgusting Food Museum. <laughs> oh my god! Um, it includes eighty different foods that sort of challenge your notion of repulsion, and that includes maggot-infused cheese from Italy. Ammonia-scented shark from Iceland, meat and gelatin jello salads from Why? the US, oh, roasted guinea pigs from Peru, um, pungent bean curd from China. Basically, if there's anything that's going to make you sick, whether it's taste, texture, aroma, preparation, or, you know, whatever, it's going to be in this museum. So they can definitely stick marzipan and kurede hey, in there. Hey, hey, oh, 100%, hey, 100%. 100%. Bits of melon, 
marzipan yeah, and, um sparkling water that can and go sparkling as well. water mate that that 100 um but it's it's a surprisingly very wholesome museum because they write and i quote while cultural differences often separate us and create boundaries food can also connect us sharing a meal is the best way to turn strangers into friends not those meals mate. i'm sorry that's rubbish here's a meal from peru it's disgusting but we were friends <laughs> yeah actually, it's literally called the disgusting food museum. essentially i, I like, think, yeah, I think they should have they should have tweaked that to say like you know despite all the different cultures and where we're from and as human beings we can still make rank food together <laughs> exactly yeah that's that the, better... essentially that's what they say they say while the emotional while the emotion of disgust is universal the foods we find disgusting are not and so what's delicious to one dude can be revolting to another and the museum invites you to explore the world of food and challenge your notion of what is and isn't edible could changing our ideas of disgust help us embrace the environmentally sustainable foods of the f- uh, foods of the future you decide uh, right, Zucky, yeah, uh, your special mention. Yeah, it's, it's cool. No, I like that, though. I, I, that's kind of interesting. I, I, I'm, yeah, if you I want, want to throw kind up, of see out of curiosity. If place. you want to throw up, did you say? Yeah. <laughs> Next time it's Ramadan, we're doing an iftar here. All right, done. done, done. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I was going to say, I, I was feeling hungry, and now I'm not, funnily enough. So, yeah, it worked well. Uh, I, yeah, I have a special mention. Didn't talk about it. Maybe should have, <laughs> instead of the, <laughs> the dead lake, whatever. But uh, Trolls Skorgan, which is the troll forest, is a 200-year-old enchanted forest which has trolls in it. Why didn't you talk about that? That would have been much better than the stupid oh empty hole lake. Okay, definitely. It's a cool looking lake. Uh, troll forest or a hole in the ground. Come on. Yeah. Troll, yeah. That's terrible. Um, okay, cool. So with that, we are now at the end of the episode. A huge thank you to all our listeners. And as always, make sure to subscribe so you know when our next episode lands on your podcast app thing. Gentlemen, we get there in the end. See you at the next one.